the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. Let's get it going right here, right now. This is New Generation Declassified, and you're listening to a brand new episode of the New Generation Declassified here exclusively on the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and every single week I'm joined here by my broadcast team to sit down and talk about some of the finer moments of the WWF's New Generation and look no further than the debut of the mysterious Mankind on his way to the WWF as we talk about that on today's episode. And of course, I'm always joined here by the broadcast team. First, in uh, my view, he's down at the bottom of the screen in our Brady Bunch style view. He is uh, the pride of New Jersey. He is Mr. CP with uh, seven Z's on the end of his Twitter handle. What's going on tonight in your neck of the woods, CP? Uh, nothing much. I am recovering from a depressing loss of the New York Jets from this past weekend, where they looked awful in all facets of the game, and I am <laughs> just uh, you know getting into better into a better mood. Looking forward to uh, making the world a better place for all of mankind. <laughs> you know, you could be more masochistic than mankind being a Jets fan, and then it, <laughs> and I. At, at me, people, I dare you, because my God, I hate to say the same old Jets, but it's the same old Jets. There's nothing like the season feeling over one quarter into the first what, Yeah, one quarter in and right off the bat, uh, feeling those uh, those feelings of discomfort in the gullet and in the, uh, the, the stomach. Uh, so I, I feel for you, my friend. And then, of course, we got our man with the golden mouse, down there in the sunshine state, Mr. Uh, Timmy W. Timmy, what is going on with you, my man? What do we have on tap today, uh, reliving the beginning of the Mankind era? Yeah, hey, I'm just down here in Florida, and I'm also, you know, I'm a masochist at heart. My Dolphins, wishing it was 94 Dolphins, but the last 30 years, you know, it's 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 been deadly. You know, at least you got like uh, you were in Ace Ventura, though the Dolphins. At least they got that going for them, right? You know, even what was that, ninety two, ninety three? Ray Finkel was an all star. We had him. Yeah, you come on, you got uh, Ray Finkel, you got Dan Marino. There's nothing to complain about in Dolphins land. Uh, but yeah, Isotoners exactly. I uh, I digress. Uh, we could talk about the Jets uh, all day long. I don't particularly care anymore about uh, the, the Jets like I used to, but I looked forward to the classic Joe Beningo rant on uh, WFAN yes. Monday morning. Legit, or excuse me, now Monday afternoon. I legit like couldn't wait for the uh, the show to start because uh, I knew it was going to be well worth it. But it was like going into the boiler room and uh, and facing the Undertaker, uh, you know, a Jet fan after week one. <laughs> That's exactly how it feels. And I uh, I was not able to listen to Joe Beningo live because of work, but I was Googling him on YouTube the second I could find it uploaded. I knew it would be up there <laughs> in an hour. <laughs> oh, it was great. Yeah, good stuff. But, yeah, we're going to talk about Mankind 
today. Mick Foley, of course, another dimension of the uh, the the characters portrayed by Mick Foley. Uh, this time, mankind uh, just absolutely kind of shocking that he was coming to the WWF. And one thing I want to just kind of point out before we even get started is is doing this kind of podcast. You know, we're not trying to break ground. We're not trying to uh, you know be insiders for for everything. We're not trying to uh, beat you over the head with facts that we heard on other shows. We're we're kind of taking this from the the perspective of being fans in the era, looking back at the footage. And then absolutely, you know, kind of breaking it down and introducing fans to what we saw. And if you never watched it before, it, it might give you an inkling or an idea to go ahead and, and watch it and go back and check it out if you never saw it before. So I just want to say that to preface it because there's look, there's a million uh, retrospective style podcasts out there. And I don't want to blur the line because sometimes people try to act like experts. And whereas we can drop some facts in, it really goes off of us being fans at the time. And, and CP, I mean, we can we, we can literally talk about how we would just sit there and marvel at the fact that a guy who was Cactus Jack was now in the WWF as Mankind. When we knew who he was, he had a thin mask. You could see his whole face. You saw his missing ear. We knew who he was. It didn't matter that his name was changed. But the fact he was in the WWF was kind of shocking. And it was just completely insane. I mean, you, you knew who Cactus Jack was, but I almost feel like that veil of thinking this is Cactus Jack disappeared very quickly for me, even though, you know, he kind of wrestled the same way, but there was a weird intensity with mankind. Uh, you know, I was, I was legit scared of him, like, at, like, 13 years old. So You, you little scaredy cat. Yeah, he was <laughs> great. I mean, you know, coming off of ECW – uh, Mick Foley introduced us to the 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 more personality side of uh, Cactus Jack. You know, he was more animated. He was more uh, colorful. You know, he was more showing you that he was funny. I mean, he was a legit funny, funny guy, but he was still also bloodthirsty and throwing himself all over the, uh, you know, the ring and the outside, the inside, going through the tables, the barbed wire. Uh, so to see him walking into the, the WWF in 1996 – Cactus Jack wasn't going to cut the mustard. They needed to WWF size him. You know what I mean? They had to put that yeah. branding on him and make him something that would be in the vision of the chairman, Vince McMahon. And I think mankind was perfect for what the WWF had to offer. Now, obviously, yeah, we'd see Cactus Jack in uh, 2000 or excuse me, 97. And then again in 2000, but what they did with this Mankind character was so perfectly in line with how the WWF created these larger-than-life stars, and it took a guy that was recognizable across other federations, you know, world-class, world uh, the NWA, WCW, ECW. He was in Puerto Rico. He's in Japan. He's all over the place. He's in the USWA. He's everywhere. But now in the WWF, he got this new fresh coat of paint, and it added a psychotic dimension to him that basically had never been seen on WWF TV at that point. Yeah. And what's crazy is I, I don't know if that, you know, this is a little early to talk about transitioning from new generation, I think, or may, maybe it's right around that time to the next generation, but it's still clearly new generation. And you, this fresh coat of paint, as you put it, is a, it's an, it's a larger than life character. They threw onto Mick Foley here, like that generation but it is also much darker and more psychotic than anything else going on at the time. So it's, it's definitely got a 
deep layer of uh, just sick humanity that doesn't really wasn't really being touched on the TV screen too much yet. So what freaked you out? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It was just kind of scary. Mankind was a scary cat when he was young, man. He was, uh, uh, he, he was, I knew, I mean, I can go all the way up to, uh, just him, him pulling the undertaker out of the ring, uh, or under the ring at the King of the ring, but that's months later. Um, or not at the King of the ring. That, I'm sorry. That was at the, in your house in the summer, uh, against Goldust. But even like the, the move, the mandible claw was like, that move was crazy. I don't, I don't know why it's so simplistic, just sticking fingers in somebody's mouth, but it seemed insanely intense to me at the time. And especially the early ones when he did it with, uh, you know, like in his debut against Bob Holly and a couple other ones, like he's, you know, people were foaming at the mouth when he did that. Um, and his vignettes were just dark and disturbing. Like everything about him was, uh, it was just a, it was just a layer of sadisticness, I guess, that I just hadn't seen in WWF to that point. Was it the uh, foaming at the mouth that the guys were basically doing at that point and the spit that they were kind of shooting out? Was it the mandible claws effects? That kind of got to you, the, the the you know the reaction that these guys had, the you know the the basically you know if we want to use the '90s terminology, the hurl that they would basically do after the the stinky you know fingers were shoved in the gullet, basically you know was it that after effects that got to you? Ah, uh, it's definitely one of that's definitely part of it. I mean, uh, that was craziness. Uh, I had no idea what was happening when that move was going on when he debuted against Bob Hol- Bob Holly. And then I think later on the same night, the Undertaker foamed at the mouth from a mandible claw, if I remember correctly. I could what be a thought, little... huh? But... <laughs> what, a, what a thought. Now, I've always said one of my pet peeves in wrestling is uh, internal bleeding angles, right? You see a guy who gets, uh, you know, like Ken Shamrock that was did internal bleeding, right? He got hit and he'd be bleeding, you know, bleeding. Oh, man, he's got internal bleeding going on. So I didn't know what to think about, you know, the foaming at the mouth. And I don't know if that really lasted terribly, terribly long. But it worked, yeah. and it and it got that move over as a killer move, um, yeah. and then you know the ripping out of his own hair, you know, yeah. and the hurt, his, hurting himself, stabbing, yeah, yeah stabbing, stabbing himself, you know, and and the attire that they picked almost like it was the Hunchback of, of Notre Dame, you know, with the the the, the bodysuit. But the scars on his arm that we saw from the death matches and, you know, again, the vignettes, we didn't even talk about those yet, but we will. The vignettes showcasing, you know, what the damage was, the ear. Again, if you were a fan and you knew this kind of stuff happened, you just got a little Easter egg. If you were a non outside of WWF fan, you were like, what in God's name am I about to see? And who is this guy destroying the undertaker <laughs> on the first Monday night raw after WrestleMania? What was it, 12 that he debuted? So yeah. whew, what, a, what a way to come in. You know, what's crazy too. He's just, his character was very like, obviously it's over the top, but it was still, it was in that like realm of craze of darkness, weirdness that the undertaker was in, but it felt very real. Like it was like, this was like a crazy sadistic dude it, it wasn't you know otherworldly he was just a lunatic that loved me it was like hannibal you know it was believable yeah yeah, yeah. psychotic as that you know it was a good take on it or or yeah. it was a good take mason the mutilator too if you want to go that <laughs> right yes. right and we'll go yeah we'll go back to that when we, we talk about the vignettes but just sticking with ecw tim you know you're a big ecw fan and that last little run before he went in the end of 95 
uh i mean you know again like i said we saw the comical side you know the uh the, the kissing up to eric bischoff you know and getting the ire of the ecw fans because they did love him so much he did everything he could to have them boo him what did you think about those last few months that uh mick foley spent as cactus jack before transitioning to mankind well, they were great because it showed yet another side to him that you, you didn't see anywhere else. You know, it just showed how freaking ingenious this guy is because he wanted the he wanted the crowd to hate him. And even though ECW fans loved him, he still got them to hate him. You know, even as he's leaving, they're chanting his name as they're you know, leaving after the Mikey Whipwreck match. And they, they have a hate love relationship with him at that point. Crazy. I mean, it really just uh, it, it, he was so good at the end there uh, of VCW, you know, and of course, uh, you know, his, his links to my buddy, the franchise, you know, being what they are. I mean, they just, his little history in ECW is so deep. You would think he was there for five years, you know, cause he did so much in the time that he was uh, in that promotion, but you know, nonetheless really wasn't a huge, huge sample. Um, you know, he was there for, I guess you would equate it to about a year uh, pretty much. Um, but the vignettes themselves. So talk about that. So at the beginning of 1996, all we got to see was an ear and we saw a very, uh, meek and mild voice, you know, explaining their torment, explaining their, their suffering and how, how, how better is this? Let me bring that torture and suffering to the WWF and inflict it on the good guys, on the baby faces. Uh, the first impressions CP scared to death. I personally, I was pumped because I was just like, well, wow, <laughs> we know who that is. I, I know that voice. And like uh, Tim alluded to, nicknames that were thrown out there, you know, Mason the Mutilator and early concepts of the of the drawings, which have since been released uh, as part of Mick Foley's various projects and books and DVDs and documentaries that have been done about him. Where they had the Mankind character and where it ended up were two different things. But nonetheless, we saw the ear. We'd see his little pet uh, rat. You know, we would see this George. this tormented soul. What, what was the name? George. George the Mouse. George. That's right. George. Yeah. You'd see George. You know, and it just, again, it was it was just off-putting. And uh, if we were to grade, right, I know we usually do grades at the end. If we were going to grade the vignettes and the, the lead-up to the debut, complete A-plus, 10 out of 10. Absolutely. You know, the, the vignettes are all awesome. Um, they are perfect. If, you, if you've never seen Mick Foley before, or if you know him, as you mentioned before, he's, I mean, he's got to be one of the best actors in the history of the business, as far as just coming across with, with such sincerity in whatever the hell he's doing. Um, you know, there's the, the shrieky whine and playing around with his pet rat. And then he cuts a dime and he does like a, he does crying sounds, and yeah, I mean, he's talking to George and what we're watching right now, which you just mentioned. A little sidebar, I freak out my neighbor constantly because she has a uh, bulldog named George, and I constantly <laughs> say, we we think alike, George. Like, things like that to the dog in mankind voice. <laughs> Doesn't like it too much. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, these vignettes are awesome, and they're I, I do think they're very revolutionary for the time. I mean, the closest thing I can think of is, like, some of those Jake the Snake like vignettes from when he was in the when he was helping a warrior uh, try to get try to get a little darker Uh, that's that's the closest thing I can think of a little bit of Papa Shango maybe yeah yeah maybe a little Papa Shango that's good too but these these seems like very revolutionary for the time to me 
Yeah, so uh, you call you talk to the dog, you call George uh, like mankind, huh? Wow, what a mark. <laughs> I'm pulling your hair out. I do pull my hair out, too. What, what a mark, man. You need to, you need to go see somebody. Get, get that checked out. Um, nonetheless, uh, you know, the vignette's going for a couple of months and, and leading up to, like we said, you know, the night after WrestleMania, you know, the debut and, and the unveiling of what we would come to see as mankind and going after the undertaker, which would basically be a, uh, uh, a commingling between the two of them or married to one another on pay-per-view and television for now, the better part going on, it will be about two to three, quite possibly even four years where anytime these two were together in the ring, it, it was a callback to these first couple of months and the intensity that they showed. Because, I mean, the entrance, you know, the 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 slow uh, violin music playing him to the ring, the the dark lighting, him with the tilt of the head and, and not really being sure of wanting to even go to the ring and the light that would shine on him. It just it, I, the whole picture is uh, is just it's it's beautiful <laughs> is what oh, it yeah. is. And, you know, and then on his way out, the closing music is the piano that, you know, basically that leads to the mandible claw, uh, the origins of that, you know, the, the piano that he used to play and the bashing of the fingers. I mean, just genius level stuff and, yeah. and worked out so perfectly. And of course, a guy like Bob Holly, you know, just such a great uh, veteran to be in the ring with and to help get this character over to the highest extent. Um, just a, a again. We're going to grade it A plus 10 out of 10 debut. Yeah, no, the de- the debut is amazing. Bob Holly is the perfect opponent. Um, you were talking about the outro music, which is another like amazing touch to me for this character. Uh, it's, I, I can't recall uh, that happening previously. I don't, I don't, I don't know if it's happened since then, a character having different outro music and it made perfect sense. Um, one of the vignettes, he talks about uh, how his uh, mom, would send him away when the music stopped. So that kind of tied in perfectly with that. Uh, yeah, no, it's 10, 10 out of 10 debut. And how can you debut stronger? I mean, it's months of buildup with those vignettes. And then, yeah, he gets a squash win over Bob Holly here. And then he gets, he just jumps right into Undertake. Crazy. And you will, come on, you can't get any bigger than Bob Holly that first, uh, that first <laughs> win. And then go right for uh, the Undertaker, but we're looking at Bob Holly and the after effects of the mandible claw. I mean, it is—it's funky. <laughs> it's yeah, just white foam and spit, <laughs> and oh my gosh! And of course, the genius camera work—they're getting the close-up on it, and oh my god, just uh, out of this world uh, visual. And uh, just love the way the early Mankind character looked. Yeah, and uh, it's that—it's just crazy how terrifying the claw is too, especially. When you think of the that it, how it became a comedic move later on, basically, it's it was it was scary here. Yeah, that's a great point because it really did. It became an absolute kind of jokey move, you know, the Santino claw and and you know the the Cobra. Yeah, yeah, Mister Sacco. Uh, it just it absolutely was. And now I believe uh, the Fiend right uses the mandible claw. Uh, which is kind of stupid. I mean, and again, not not shitting on or hating on the current product. It's just stupid. It, it's not necessary. Create something you know new for a supernatural character like that because mankind wasn't supernatural. The Undertaker was. Mankind was just impervious to pain. He wasn't yep. supernatural. No, yeah, that makes sense. Um, 
And when you said, uh, you know, you talked about how the Undertaker Mankind would feud for years after this on and off. I mean, Mankind's entire WWE career is somewhat linked to the Undertaker. But I do think, uh, you know, a lot of people go to Attitude Era 1998 Hell in the Cell match immediately and forget about some of this early stuff. I mean, this is an intense, intense rivalry they have here in this first six months of Mick Foley's tenure for six, seven months. Oh, gosh. Yeah, the brutality. The brutality, because it was all, it was so physical. And and you know what it kind of did too? It kind of changed the way The Undertaker was portrayed because The Undertaker was kind of stuck with all these, you know, broody, you know, big, giant monsters. And now he had a guy who was smaller than him that he could kind of throw around a little bit, but this smaller guy was beating the crap out of him too. So it was, uh, it was kind of interesting how, you know, it wasn't necessarily a walk in the park. It wasn't just the Undertaker comes in, choke slam, tombstone. You know, the party's over. He got shown up. I mean, he was always getting beat up by mankind. Yeah. The Undertaker wasn't even trying to deal with mankind. He was constantly trying to deal with gold dust, and mankind would just show up. <laughs> now, what did you what did you think about that little side uh, feud there for uh, for the Undertaker? Because gold dust. At this point, you know, he's uh, he's coming off the, the Intercontinental Championship, uh, losing it to Ahmed Johnson, and in this weirdo feud with The Undertaker, and seemingly out of nowhere, this other oddball affiliation of Mankind with uh, Goldust steps in. But how about that little stop-off for The Undertaker with the bizarre one? It seems a little weird. I don't know why, I don't know why Goldust was there, really. I guess they weren't ready to go all in on the Mankind feud. and But the, the first time he fought Goldust on pay-per-view in the casket match, Goldust was still the Intercontinental Champion. And I, they were oh, fighting. Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah, okay. They were fighting for the IC title. And I don't know that the Undertaker ever fought for the IC title besides that. I, I mean, he may have randomly later on on some Raw or something. But uh, looking back at that, I was like, the Undertaker was in an Intercontinental title match? That seems crazy to me. And I totally forgot. But I was just reading about it a couple hours ago. So, yeah. No, that was just weird. Hey, hey, the dead man can go for the Intercontinental, okay? You know, he can go <laughs> fight for the rights of uh, all those other Continental Championships uh, that the Intercontinental title uh, represented. <laughs> but this is also, you know, one of my favorite versions of Goldust because he was still kind yeah. of in that really androgynous is the, the word of the hour for Goldust. But he was in that kind of you didn't know what to think of him uh, phase two. You know, he's only about seven, eight months into his uh, character uh, run here, but um, and that's probably the peak of his WWF career, his first year or so. Yeah, right? because by by November '96, he's turned babyface. Yeah, and uh, just too uh, too crazy. Okay. It, it just it's so funny how fast they they rush that out. We just saw a highlight of one thing that's amazing to me was the uh, yeah that's it's in the it's before the Goldust Undertaker casket match on a Raw when uh, Undertaker's in the casket. And he's talking, uh, just giving one of his spooky Undertaker promos. And yeah, Goldust and Mankind just come out and rush him. Goldust pushes Paul Bearer away, and Mankind ties the casket shut and just starts beating it with a pole and then pushing it over. And that's like that's one of the first times where you just saw Undertaker like look like a chump when he's trying to be like spooky Undertaker. I I, I can't recall it ever happening before that. So I mean, that was, that was just a really cool scene. Can't believe you just called the Undertaker a chump. <laughs> This is like craziness. If you ever heard that, you'd be in big trouble. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, I, you're completely right. I, we have never seen him. Even like you, you think back to like Giant Gonzalez, you know, uh, taking him out or, or Yokozuna taking him out. He was never like literally consistently dominated 
in yeah. the manner that he was. I mean, he was beaten to a pulp, uh, you know, no blood in this era, but like beaten to a pulp. And, you know, another one of those clips was uh, mankind attacking a casket with a pipe. And like you're sitting there going like, yeah, like, I don't even know if that really hurts him, but that's pretty crazy. <laughs> you know? No, but like, it, yeah, it made him look stupid, though, which is what I mean. Like, it's like, um, you know, he never, you know, those times you mentioned, like, Yoko, Yoko got the best of him with the help of a bunch of people. Uh, Giant Gonzalez got him with his chloroform and stuff. But uh, he, uh, it's just, yeah, he was just talking in the casket and they just ran out from behind. Like, he, he looked dumb, which I don't think he ever looked before. Well, maybe because it was Paul Bearer uh, leading to the ruse of, uh, you know, what we would see at SummerSlam. Um, but nonetheless, you know, Mankind just, he didn't really have that many matches that we can look back at. I mean, yeah, he had some, you know, spots on Raw and, and whatever. And and I'm sure, you know, the house show circuit was uh, packed with some Mankind, you know, Bob Holly uh, style matches. But he was basically saved for the big shows, which is very cool. Um, yeah. You know, and that makes the character that much more special. Here we go. We see him with versus uh, Bart Gunn on a Monday Night Raw. You know, and, and now we got we see him somebody bigger than even Bob Holly, which ironically Bart Gunn and Bob Holly would become uh, the new Midnight Express uh, a few years down the road. But uh, no match for uh, for for mankind. <laughs> no match for mankind. If the, if this was a brawl for all though, Bart would probably do well. It's kind of weird though for Bart Gunn. So in this point, so this is like. Um, the smoking guns are still a team, so they just kind of fed Bart Gunn to uh, to to mankind here. Yeah, I don't I don't know why that happens, but it is pretty funny. Now the hand in this one is is bloody uh, and is a little more funkified than uh, even before. But uh, oh my gosh, just the vision, the mask, the Hannibal <laughs> Lecter style mask, and how about this too? This is one thing we didn't mention uh, talking about the look. The shaved piece of hair <laughs> that was shaved out of his head. Oh, my goodness gracious. That is dedication. That's method acting right there. That is taking the all-encompassing part of the role and running with it. Because who's going to do that? Mick Foley will do it. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, he's, he's ripping out his hair during the matches. So it just leads to that extra layer of believability. See, this part we're looking at when Mick Foley would come running full tilt and nail you in the corner with like a running knee, or if he ran, you know, hit you with his, his backside. That to me always looked like it hurt. I mean, that, that to me, you talk about, you know, the jumping onto the concrete that looked like it hurt him more than it hurt the the guy on the floor. But the, the running at the, uh, the, the corner at, you know, full speed ahead, that to me always looked like it killed. He's a big big boy too. He is. Yeah. He is no slouch and Bart Gunn, you know, maybe even weight wise. I mean, just, probably just because he's taller but you know that is like when that you see that coming that you just know that the other side of it's not going to feel good when you mentioned the uh the other move the uh you know the running off the apron elbow onto the ground i mean he does that to bob holly in that little short squash match which is pretty amazing to me like he's you know night one he's certainly not hiding that he's cactus jack too to people who know cactus jack yeah, that's a damn good point. It's the same. Uh, he's got the pull pile driver too. You know the uh, the, the sit down pile driver. Like he's, he, we we are not hiding. It's Cactus Jack. And then eventually, you know, we won't go too fully into it. But then they would tell you, you know, in '97, in, in the middle of uh, the summer, that yes, this is Cactus Jack. This is just a uh, another dimension of Mick Foley's personality. Uh, but '96, Mick Foley didn't exist. Cactus Jack didn't exist. It was all mankind. And to be honest with you, I'm fine with it. 
I'm if he was yeah. just mankind, and we never knew anything else about him. I'm fine with it because it was pulled off so perfectly. There's no need to uh, to even question it. No, I agree with you. I mean, this is that's one of the best just packaging of a WWF character I can I can think of where it just worked out. I mean, I love what they did to with him originally, and then it evolves perfectly over time. You know, just seeing this clip we have in front of us, which was from uh, the Beware of Dog uh, pay-per-view, where he comes out of the casket and uh, gives the Undertaker the mandible claw, costs him the match. Uh, CP, I don't know if you remember, we saw a similar finish uh, in March 1997 at Madison Square Garden, where, again, that this feud never died. The main event of the show was uh, the uh, Undertaker versus Vader, in a, uh, right. uh, right. a casket match, and the match ended when Mankind came out of the casket and cost the Undertaker the match. <laughs> and that, that was leading up to another Mankind-Undertaker match in 97 for when the Undertaker was the uh, champion at that that's, time. Yes, yeah. that's right. So, I mean, really a storied rivalry, a storied history that this summer uh, really caught. Um, but the fact that it's a part of, you know, this gold dust uh, feud is, again, it's just another kind of oddity um you know you see guys like jim ross uh in the company at this point and he obviously was a huge advocate for mankind and mcfoley um you you see the 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 ground being laid for what we would see in the attitude era these superstar guys that all had that kind of common uh denominator that they weren't getting pushed in another organization and if you look at the top guys kind of coming into the company in 96, you know, you got your Steve Austin's, you got your Hunter Hearst Helmsley's, you got your Dustin Rhodes, AKA Goldust, you got your Mick Foley. You got these guys who were in WCW as virtual mid carters and, and guys they weren't doing anything with that would have these larger than life, iconic personas that would be all time greats <laughs> in yeah. the WWE landscape. And I mean that, that promo that we were just watching was basically leading up to uh, King of the Ring, or it might have been right after King of the Ring, one or the other. But, but I mean, that's King of the Ring '96 is Mankind's first, Mankind's first true big match in WWF against Undertaker, which happens before the Boiler Room Brawl, and then that's the same night. You know, that's the same night Stone Cold is crowned King of the Ring and starts his uh, his rise. So when you mention yeah. those WCW guys, you know, making a name for themselves here, it's kind of it's kind of ironic that those two both have such a big night that night. Right. And, and well, if you look up and down the card, you know, Mark Merrow is a part of this King of the Ring, you know, uh, and a huge part, obviously, Johnny B. Bad from WCW, you know, Triple H. And, and these guys that they let go by had these uh, these these good little runs here. And obviously, guys, more guys having better ones than, you know, Mark Merrow. But I forget about the King of the Ring match, to be honest with you. I kind of glanced over it as we were talking because I, I it gets lost because of the Austin um speech but this is probably the best match of the night and pretty much the standout for this entire uh pay-per-view because the Shawn michaels bulldog match you know not the best uh gold dust and ahmed johnson not the best and that tournament you know austin obviously had to go get the staples in his uh in his his lip you know and we got to see jake almost uh win the king of the ring but this match itself would probably be the leader in the clubhouse if you look back at that entire night no, it's a super fun match, and it's just another another time, but this time in a real match where Mankind gets the upper edge on Taker. I mean, it's yeah, it, not many people come in this strong, just getting up on, just getting one up on Taker every time, including a 
you know, a, I guess submission victory or what did they call it? I guess they called it a submission when he would win with the claw. But yeah, I don't even know what would it be a submission. It's kind of like a, uh, it can't even be a tap out. I don't even know what the hell it is. It's just a match. Yeah, ender. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the rule book? Somebody get me the rule book. Um, this, this match had the, um, you know, I guess it makes sense a couple months later, but it didn't, you know, but it was just completely by accident here that Paul Bearer cost the Undertaker the match. He may, you know, he accidentally hits him with the urn, if you remember. Spoilers. Uh, Come on. <laughs> Come on. Um, yeah, no, you're right. But I, you know what I remember most about this match is the image that they show uh, all the time in Undertaker clips and and Mankind retrospectives is those uh, the body shots of the Undertaker just going to town uh, yeah. mankind and it's like you never saw that out of undertaker you weren't seeing that when undertaker was beating hulk hogan for the wwf title you know you didn't see that when undertaker was uh you know going after uh like i said giant gonzalez or papa shango or somebody like that it really it it just brought the undertaker into a completely different like level in wwf land you know we talk about who are those top five guys you know where does undertaker fall I think the Mankind feud and, and angle and storyline helped ascend him to that status of he is, you know, the conscience of the WWF. No, absolutely. I think I 100% agree with you. And if you watch, you know, some of the recent Under Undertaker interviews that he did when his special was out, he constantly kind of talked about the American badass being able to, like, bring the more human side out of him. But, it, I mean, it starts with this feud. It starts yeah. years before that. Uh, and it's... It continues after this. You see a more real side of Taker, you know, for the next several years while he's still the dead man. Now, I got to also give props to Vince McMahon uh, on commentary uh, anytime Mankind was in the ring because, man, he was the best. I mean, and that is Vince McMahon at his finest is anytime Mankind was doing something over the top. And, you know, the Vince, uh, the Vince isms were uh, in, in full, uh, full effect. Um, <laughs> well, look at that. Look at we we just saw Mick Foley. I don't know if he take a swing at Paul Bear. It kind of looked like he missed. <laughs> yeah, he definitely missed. <laughs> but he didn't take a bump, so there you go. Way to way to no sell it. Um, but yeah, Vince was great. And again, I always love seeing. And I've talked about this with uh, with some former superstars that can't believe that Vince would be sitting ringside when they saw what he did in the back all those years later. You know, he's seeing a vision in his head and he's seeing what is going on in the ring. And I think his commentary reflects when it matches. And he was so into these, um, uh, undertaker mankind, uh, interactions that again, it just, it adds another dimension to it and makes them so, uh, you know, so more, so much more iconic, I think. Yeah. Well, taker was, you know, one of his babies that he clearly thought had worked already at this point, you know, as an amazing character that he created. And then, He's working on that with Mankind right now, and he knows, you know, whether he liked McFoley or not before he was signed, he clearly realizes he's a 100% committed to this character, and he's a, he's got to realize he's a damn good actor. Uh, you know, he's not a he's not going to half-ass the character. I'm just laughing at Paul Bearer. I'm sorry, because, <laughs> you know, Paul Bearer, the, the telegraphed, and looking back, I'm smiling because I would have never thought it at King of the Ring 96 that what we'd see at SummerSlam was going to happen. But then, like, I just got a chuckle thinking about when Paul Bearer was aligned with Mankind and then later on in the beginning of the Kane storyline when Paul Bearer kind of got to act a little bit more like Percy Pringle. Yeah. And uh, he had some he had some pretty dynamite lines. Uh, I'm not going to lie. That would that make me laugh still to this day 
Uh, so when he was over the top hitting Undertaker with the urn and then like, you know, over overselling the uh, the reaction, I just keep I just started laughing looking at him because he uh, he did it so perfectly. <laughs> you killed your parents. <laughs> Again, not our era. And we're, <laughs> this technically doesn't exist in this universe. But the Paul Bearer, Jerry Lawler talking about the night <laughs> that Paul Bearer. Knocked up the Undertaker's mom, and therefore we uh, conceived Kane. I mean, that is just that is so um, unbelievable. I mean, it, you get a little bit of the heebie-jeebies, uh, but you also just get uh, some great laughs as uh, Lawler is leading him in so delicately. Tell me all about it. How was hey. it on the floor of the of the embalming room? <laughs> hey, that's a good. Uh, speaking of Jerry Lawler. Uh, you know, he's kind of in the middle of this feud for a minute now at this point. Uh, he's They're sort of setting up a Jake-Mankind feud, which match which doesn't happen. Uh, but yeah, Jerry is, you know, constantly abusing Jake for being a drunk. And uh, Mankind comes and saves him, which is right what uh, Tim has on video right here. And to be honest with you, block this out of the memory, <laughs> like 110%. Didn't even know that's where you were going when you said that. I'm watching it unfold in front of me. No recollection whatsoever. Well, this Enli- to- enlighten me. <laughs> it leads to Jake. It's like it's one of those drunk angles. Lawler's constantly heckling him for being drunk, and it leads to Jake Lawler at SummerSlam. But uh, Jake was supposed to fight Mankind at the July in your house, and he didn't. He was replaced by Henry Godwin, and I'm not sure. If, I don't remember if it was storyline or reality, but he was constantly. Yeah, on, on commentary in that match, you were being reminded by Jerry Lawler that Jake is a drunk, and that's why he didn't show up, and he, he couldn't make it there. But but uh, but yeah, it was supposed to be Mankind and Jake the Snake at the July in your house before the SummerSlam. I, I'm gonna be honest with you, I, I got nothing. I I don't remember this at all. I don't remember this even slightly, and I love it. I'm watching this right now. I'm a big fan of Jake's uh, vest uh, phase. Um, <laughs> And Revelations, the giant uh, python. Uh, but wow, I don't remember that. And that's that's compelling and intriguing as hell. I got to say, I, I want to see the match now. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, those two going back and forth verbally would be amazing. It's, it's just, uh, yeah, it, it it fell through. And it was really just a, a little roadblock for Mankind to fight Tager again and for Jake to fight Lawler again. But, you know, he got a better opponent in Henry Godwin. <laughs> oh, I love me some Henry Godwin, so I'm I'm completely down with that. Uh, Mark Canterbury, uh, one of the coolest dudes I've ever dealt with, talked to, worked with. Uh, just to, all you gotta say is BSK man, and you win. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> hey, t- Tim, do you know uh, why Jake wasn't there that night? I mean, uh, was that storyline or was it a real thing? My guess would be uh, it was a real thing, but I don't yeah. know. I, I, I don't think I, I'm gonna say it probably wasn't. Based off of the storyline, I would say it's probably at work. But, you know, again, I wasn't there. And again, we like I just prefaced earlier, we're giving you the fan point of view here and what we recall, what we uh, what we know. So I was honest. I didn't remember Jack Squat about any of this. Um, but we're going to cap the conversation with SummerSlam. Um, and there's a lot that we could go into, but we'll cap it with SummerSlam. So it's covering about, you know, a good what seven and a half months of mankind um and you know what can you say the boiler room brawl was something that had never been done to that level um on a pay-per-view although we had seen them fight 
all throughout buildings in the lead up and throughout the months, we never saw an actual brawl um, start in another part of the arena. We saw false count anywhere matches. We saw that at WrestleMania 10 with uh, crush and the macho man, but we never saw it starting in a boiler room, legit in a boiler room in the bowels of the arena. Exactly. Because what, why do it in the boiler room? Well, that's where mankind lived apparently. So, they, they have the Boiler Room Brawl, the big lead-up to SummerSlam. Um, not that it's – it's not terrible. I don't really love that kind of a match, but the fan reaction in the building sucks because they literally wheeled out televisions for people in the first couple of rows to watch, and that is that, that is no way to to catch a, a match if you're live in the arena. I would not have been happy about that if I was uh, in person at SummerSlam 96. Uh, yeah, no, uh, that's uh, that definitely affects the match a bit. Combined with a couple other things, um, did you before you get fully into the match though? Did you remember that your boy the Toddster uh, doing a promo early in SummerSlam where he's just walking around the boiler room and he runs into mankind in the boiler room? But I see. Like, I couldn't remember if that was on the free for all or not. <laughs> it might. I think it was on the early part of the pay per view. Okay, um, but it's very funny because he's he's just like it's so eerie in here. There's pipes and things and 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 towels i don't know what he's <laughs> talking about and then he just runs into mankind sitting in the corner <laughs> todd todd don't be a puss come on get, <laughs> get in there and you know get the interview and get out um but yeah the uh the build-up was great uh the promos were great the the wwf production team in complete uh, full effect but uh, the match uh, maybe not what was uh, completely felt and advertised but um you know Memorable, serviceable, and I guess what can you say? This is just not my favorite kind of match to watch these, you know, backstage uh, brawls like this. Yeah, well, I think I think it's fun. It's odd. I mean, you can you mentioned the crowd, the lack of crowd noise because of the TVs being wheeled out. There's also the, uh, and I think I've heard that that was Vince's choice. There's basically no commentary when they're in the boiler room. It's very quiet, and they're just letting the sounds come on. Uh, like the sounds of the match occur, which is kind of cool for Mankind because you're getting to hear his like, wah, wah, like that sort of thing constantly, <laughs> especially when he flies off a ladder. But it, it is interesting, the lack of reaction from the crowd um, with there's like crazy falls in the boiler room. <laughs> like Mankind does a couple crazy drops. He does an insane drop off of a ladder. And I don't know. They're just uh, there's some hard falls for the lack of reaction that goes on during the uh, the boiler room phase of the uh, boiler room brawl match. Yeah, I mean, it's still a boiler room. You know, it's not like a closed set or anything. You know, they're they're doing what they can uh, with what they got. Um, I don't think that Vince McMahon was uh, – was, do you think he was jumping off the top of the, uh, the, the, the the scaffolding, whatever they jumped off of, like he did with Rob Gronkowski uh, <laughs> for WrestleMania this year? You know, do you think he did the same thing? Or do you think Mick Foley was like, nah, I got it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he had to do that with Mick. <laughs> oh, you know what Weird in the beginning in this match too is the uh, I don't I don't know if there was story around it but uh, when I was revi- I revisited I revisited this match and there's the um the 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 screen like goes to static and Vince is like there's transmission errors but it's clearly a fake thing and it happens a couple of times I guess it's an Undertaker related thing I wasn't really sure what that was about ah come on that's that's the classic you know <laughs> K- when there's chaos you know oh somebody stepped over the you know the cord some something like that yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Uh, that's classic now i can't remember did undertaker make his entrance and then go to the boiler room 
Paul, Paul Bearer came to the ring. To Paul the Bearer just came. Okay, I yeah. couldn't remember what, what the order was. To win, you have to get the air. You have to take the urn from Paul Bearer. And the right, yeah. which, and that's stemming from King of the Ring. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. So, folks, what what happens here? The shocking, shocking turn of all turns. Paul Bearer turns on The Undertaker. I, again, I put myself back in my shoes of 1996, 13, 14 years old. No freaking clue that that was going to happen. No, just completely in the dark. Didn't expect it. Didn't see it coming. But I don't like it in retrospect. I don't think it should have been done. And, and the way I felt about it then, I don't know if I was thrilled then either. But I just, the more I see it, I just didn't like it. And that bump we just saw is sickening. Uh, That's <laughs> crazy. Yeah, that, that Big Foley will just snap back onto concrete. Like, that is, is insane. That's not meant for a human. Uh, but what do you think more. about the Paul Bear return? You like it? You don't like it? What, where were you at with it? Uh, I thought it was okay. I mean, I, I'm not really strong either way necessarily at, at this time. I mean, it was definitely shocking for the moment. I, I had no idea that was going to happen. And the crowd that, you know, we mentioned the crowd was dead for some of the match, but they came alive when they thought The Undertaker was going to win. And they look stunned, like, when this turn happens. It's not – this is not one of those turns that just happens. Like, people were not expecting this at all. If, you know, if it wasn't a month or – whatever after the Hulk Hogan NWO thing, it would easily have been the biggest turn that year or in years, I would think. I mean, the Paul Bearer and the Undertaker was such a package for so long, but I, I could see you thinking, I could see people thinking they both could use a change at this point. See, I didn't like the the execution because they did. He turned away and starts laughing. The eventual hit over the head with the urn should have been the first thing. Yeah, not this smug in the corner, Paul Bearer, with his eyes all wide and laugh. Like I hated that. I want to see him just hit him with the the urn, not you know what I mean. The smug turn away, and and I, I just I didn't like that. So now here's mankind. Oh no, not handed it yet. One more round with the mandible claw. Um, yeah, just the smug Paul Bearer never uh, never got me. I didn't uh, <laughs> wasn't yeah, a fan of it. He should just be in his face right now going, you're a murderer. <laughs> <laughs> Too funny, man. I mean, it just, it's, uh, it would end with the eventual uh, crack over the head by Paul Bearer of uh, the undertaker and these somewhat, <laughs> somewhat poorly executed slaps by a, a great legend. Like per- there he goes, put the boots to him. Um, but uh, yeah, exactly. Well, what it would do was it would end the purple undertaker. And what we would end up seeing would be, I guess, what would carry through to the modern day, the more leather style, leather clad Undertaker. Uh, but it's, you know, rest in peace, purple uh, attire, SummerSlam 94 to SummerSlam 96. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's uh, that was that was a nice little outfit for the era of Taker, which I never even understood why he wore purple. I always thought gray made more sense. Um I think you you do actually get purple another like month through buried alive whenever that happens. I forget if that's September or October, and then he comes back at Survivor Series and all the all the leather. Did he have the uh, he had the the purple at um, October? I didn't remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Well, R.I.P. Uh, SummerSlam '94 to Buried Alive '96. So two months <laughs> down the road. Uh, but we're not going to talk about that because that to me, by the time we get to Buried Alive, it's a completely different. Um, yeah. Completely different dynamic for Mankind, Undertaker, Paul Bearer, 
And I want to cap it at SummerSlam because uh, it was really the career-defining moment. And then the next thing on the Mankind list is Shawn Michaels at Mind Games, which, again, took him to another level, maybe one of the best matches of his career, and probably the Mankind-defining main event moment as a heel because, obviously, Mankind would win the WWF title in 99. Yeah, 98, 99. Absolutely. I think this is the the crowning moment. Uh, of him as a heel and even, um, you know, I mean, we'll grade it, I guess, but even, even, uh, if the match, you know, is questionable, how amazing the boiler room brawl was and their King of the ring match was a good match, not necessarily a fantastic match, but it was good. Uh, but I, but this, this whole six month stint of mankind is awesome. Just based off, you know, who the guy is, the, the big nets, the interactions between him and taker as it's, it's just a perfect time, perfect segment of time. All right, so final analysis. Uh, we'll go with, uh, should we do one out of ten or should we do letter grade? What, what do you got? I'll let you pick. Um, I can't make decisions like that. All right, fine. We're going to go with a letter grade. Uh, we're going to go from uh, first uh, vignette debut with the, note, with the ear missing through uh, the first match with Bob Holly on Monday Night Raw through that same night, the first interaction with The Undertaker, then throughout the summer, the uh, interference during the Undertaker matches, the King of the Ring match, SummerSlam 96. For that stretch of time, what grade do you give Mankind? Uh, I'm going to give it an A-. minus. I mean, I think it's an excellent time, as I was mentioning before. I think Mick Foley is outrageously good in this early Mankind character, uh, and it's, as I said, a legit had me somewhat scared as a younger man, even though I knew of Cactus Jack. So I can't really fully explain that. Uh, but he was just so believable with what he was doing. The, I mean, the only thing, and I guess it's it's one of the more important things, so I shouldn't say the only thing. But, I mean, you know, I don't think, obviously, the capstone of the Boiler Room Brawl match, it wasn't necessarily the most amazing match of the world. It was kind of slow at times. Uh, and, there, you know, there wasn't a lot of other uh, great matches mixed in. But storyline-wise, it's amazing. Uh, I think everybody's great in this this whole storyline especially Mick Foley so a minus how about you uh Timmy what are you giving mankind uh, I give it a solid a um I mean, as far as the promos go that when you look up any like top five um pro, or build up to debuts anything like that you're gonna see this mankind up there near the top if not at the top and you know they don't do this like they did but they don't do it like this anymore with that long you know just 30 second minute long vignettes so that that's definitely an A plus. You know, yeah, the boiler room was a little, you know, not greatly executed, but I loved the concept for that time. Yep. And overall, you know, solid A, maybe even you know slightly A plus because I just think it was executed so well, and it was Mick, man. Mick did a great job. Now how about the Paul Bear smug look? What do you give that? Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> what, that's what took it down slightly from that A plus. <laughs> Come on, he's got the smirk in the corner. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, I'm gonna go back, maybe. Yeah, I'm gonna <laughs> give it. A, I'm gonna give him a B plus. Um, Always so hard. Yeah, you know, I, I, I like, I like things. I don't love other parts. The boiler room brawl is iconic in terms of the match, but it, I don't love it. Um, I love the King of the Ring. I like the uh, the build up. Um, I'm just gonna give it a B. Yeah, B plus because again, Paul Bear turned. Not really a fan of that either. So, the the Boiler Room Brawl brought down my overall uh, mankind assessment. 
Um, but hey, that's just me. It, it doesn't mean anything. You can't go to the store. It doesn't with it. It doesn't. It's not going to buy you anything. <laughs> it's just my opinion. Um, You're grading it as if you were sitting there at SummerSlam watching a TV. Yeah, I feel like I know somebody who was there and didn't like it. You know, I'm gonna have to do a little research on that and see who I. I feel like I knew somebody that was at that show, and I'm gonna have to see what they thought and I'll report back. Um, but nonetheless, this was a fun topic, and we will uh, cap it here for this week. Uh, I've got a couple of things in the works. In two weeks, we're going to be looking at the 1996 Kuwaiti Cup. So, Timmy, you're going to have to get to uh, work to pull that up and put that in the database. Uh, some stellar, stellar matchups in the Kuwaiti Cup. Uh, some names from that era in 96 that uh, belong in the uh, <laughs> in the pantheon of names that should be in the Kuwaiti Cup tournament. So we're going to take a look at the Kuwaiti. Is it? Are we doing the 96 Kuwaiti Cup or the 97 one? Just to clarify. I thought 96, but yeah, yeah whichever. for the era. Yeah. All right, 96, because uh, you want you want. I know who you want it specifically in the uh, that match. You want to talk about Bret Hart versus Leaf Cassidy. I know that. So. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, yeah, we will absolutely talk about the Kuwaiti Cup in two weeks, but that's two weeks from t- from this broadcast ending. Uh, and then next week, you're just going to have to stay tuned to uh, to find out. Uh, so to wrap it up here, if you want to follow me, it's at Chad EMB. If you want to follow everything with the TMPT Empire, it's TMPTEmpire.com. Catch all the podcasts going on under our umbrella. So many different ones. So- there's literally something for everybody. And uh, you obviously know that because you're listening to us right now. Uh, CP, I know, uh, working hard, getting ready for season two of your boxing podcast. So tell us where we're at in that progress and uh, what we've got going on. Yeah, it's moving along. It's going to come out at some point in the next year. I keep pushing it back, but it's, I'm working on it. Uh, but you can check out season one archives. Uh, there's 12 episodes there. Stick and move stories podcast. You can find it on Spotify and anchor. Mm-hmm. Just Google stick and move stories and it'll come up. Uh, there's a face group, Facebook group. You can join too. Uh, if you search for that. And you can find me on Twitter at, uh, at Pugs with three Z's, P-U-G-Z-Z-Z, at Pugs. And uh, other than that, have a nice day. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> I was thinking about adding that at the end. Yeah, and then, uh, so so Tim, I mean, you know, you're a South Park uh, fanatic with your um, your Twitter handle. Did you happen to see the preview for the pandemic special that's uh, airing at the end of September? Oh God, no! But I, I gotta go see it now after this. They're go doing, they're That's doing be- a, a one-hour pandemic special. Uh, right. it, and it just by the, the you know the minute they release, it looks unbelievable. So there you go. You got that to look forward to afterwards. Looking where forward. where can we where can we find your ass on Twitter? <laughs> uh, on that topic, uh, at Vez Defrons and with no Z. Just remind you, no Z, no no seven Zs either. Um, and if I could just leave you uh, with, with this to remind you, um, in the immortal words of Jerry Lawler, never get in fights with ugly guys. They never have anything to lose. <laughs> what is this? What, 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 what is this? The, uh, the amateur comedy hour here? What do we, what do we got? We're ripping off the king to end the show? I mean, come on. Um, <laughs> he had to do something to recover from that Jake thing. Yeah, I was, you know, I was thinking about uh, the time has come to relieve that pain, which will be better for me, but not so enjoyable for all of you. (laughs) 
little classic mankind there. But look, it was a great episode today. We appreciate everybody for taking a listen and reach out and touch us if you got any suggestions and comments. And for uh, the crack broadcast team, CP, Timmy W, this is the Chadster, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks for listening to the two man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.